That's a picture of me on the day I was born. Might be one of the best pictures that you'll find of me. Um, if you look at my birth certificate that I received on that day, you would, you would learn some of the facts about my birth. You would see that I was born at 2.27 p.m. on November the 2nd, 1976. If you look a little further, you'll see that I weighed 7 pounds and 14 ounces, was 21 inches long, and that I was delivered by Dr. Horace Estes in Donaldson, Tennessee, in Davidson County. So you can learn all those facts about my, my birth, and those facts are important, um, at least they are to me, but, uh, but the facts only tell part of the story. Uh, in fact, you have to know some of the stories in order to fully appreciate all of the facts. For instance, I was born on November 2nd. I was born a few days late, and that was really important to my parents because my dad's new health insurance coverage for our family didn't kick in until November the 1st. So um, I don't know what they were going to do if I came early, but, uh, but that's one of the stories. Um, also, you'll know from history, some of you may even remember, November 2nd, that year was election day. And so Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford were running against one another for the presidency. And according to the family story, my mom woke up that morning and she said, this is the day. Like, this baby is coming today. And so uh, my, my aunt, Patricia, my mom's sister, came to the house and cut my mother's hair. And then uh, whenever that was finished, she and my dad got in the car. They went and voted and then went to the hospital. All right. I'm glad they were able to work it in for me to, you know, arrive. And, um, and some of the nurses there at the hospital, they were kind of playfully suggesting that my parents should name me Jimmy Gerald in honor of the presidential election. <laughs> Thankfully, they had more common sense than that. So. But I was born into this particular family. I was born into the Bybee family. So that meant I was part of the family story from that point on. And so I was born into that family story with, with my mother's eyes. I was born into that story with my father's middle name. I was born into this family story that was already taking place in middle tennessee which means i say things like hose pipe and y'all and we're fixing to go to the store you know things like that I, I was born into this family story that had a sister and grandparents and aunts and uncles who loved me really really well and i am i'm so proud of all those elements of my story and i wouldn't trade any of those elements even if i could but I was born also into uh, another story, and it's a story of sin. And on this one, all of our birth certificates look the same, because it's a story that we're all born into. It's a story we all know well. In the scriptures, it's referred to as the sinful nature, and our friend Paul talks about it a lot. He says that there are times, because of the decisions that I make, it's as if sin is living in me, that it dwells within me, that it's, it's doing something inside of me. Every time I choose to go my direction, I, I choose my will over God's will, he says that there's something that comes alive inside of me. He talks about that sinful nature in Romans chapter 7, and, and he says that it's as if there are 
there are times when I know the really good thing that I ought to do, but I don't do that. Instead, there's this evil that I choose to do. And, and we know what Paul is talking about there because that's not just his struggle, right? That's our inner struggle as well. So this is a birth certificate that we all share in. Again, because of our choices, because of the times we choose to sin. And that's why Paul can say something like Romans 3, verse 23, that all of us, everyone has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. And so because of this, because of this story, this sin story, we might call it, I need to be born again. I need to be born into a new story. I need to be born into a, a better story. And so the thought that we'll focus on here today in our, our time together is, is a really simple one. And it's this, that a, a new kind of life requires a new kind of birth. As I hope you'll see today, uh, that's the meaning of baptism. It's about leaving behind that story of sin and entering instead into the story of salvation that has been made available to us through, through Jesus Christ. So as we continue this, this series on the baptized life, today, today I'd like for us to focus on a story, a conversation really, between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there and follow along, we'll be in John chapter 3. For part of our time together today and in this conversation with Nicodemus you'll hear Jesus talk about these very same ideas he'll talk about new birth he'll talk about new life because a new kind of life requires a new kind of birth and in the midst of this conversation we'll also see one of the most beloved passages of scripture the most quoted passages of scripture in all the Bible. John begins this way in John 3. He says simply, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was also a Pharisee. So we can pause right there and, and we can learn immediately that this is the story that Nicodemus is born into. He's an Israelite. He's a member of God's chosen people. So that puts Nicodemus from the get-go in an altogether different story than, say, the, the woman at the, at the well in Samaria that you'll read about just one chapter later. Nicodemus is born into this story as one of God's chosen people. And Nicodemus probably, like, like you, like me, he's probably proud of that heritage. He's proud of his story. He's proud of where he's come from. And he probably wouldn't trade that story for another one even if he could at least some elements of it you go further and you can see here that in addition Nicodemus is also a Pharisee that means again he's basically a religious leader among the people he's part of that ruling class of the Sanhedrin so that puts him at the top of the food chain even among the religious elite in Jerusalem and then later on in the conversation you'll see that Jesus refers to Nicodemus as the teacher in Israel and the scholars look at that article and they say okay it seems as if Jesus is taking it a little further he's not just one of the religious teachers in Jerusalem Jesus says but you are the teacher he is a respected 
venerated, a, a, master, a recognized master of biblical interpretation. Very well respected among God's people. So Nicodemus is living a really good story in so many respects. But like everyone else, he's also living in that story of sin. And there's only one way out of that story. And it has nothing to do with your physical birth. It has everything to do instead with a spiritual birth. Let's continue. After dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus affirms that the signs that have accompanied the ministry of Jesus are, are an indication that God is present, that God is, is with him. And that's already more than some of his fellow Pharisees are willing to grant. Uh, the Pharisees and, and the people, they had been given all of these signs, okay? All of these indications, these proofs that Jesus was truly the Messiah. So, for instance, when Jesus heals people of leprosy, or when Jesus casts out demons, even the ones that cause muteness, those were messianic miracles. Those were signs that Jesus was someone different. Even some of the Pharisees, even some of the religious leaders, Jesus says, you know, they're able to cast out demons, but it's the ones that cause muteness. The ones where Jesus doesn't have to even know their names sometimes, he's able to drive those out. That would have been a clear indication to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people that this is the Messiah. But the, the Pharisees, they oppose Jesus. And the reason for it is because Jesus, this is an important point, he rejected Pharisaic Judaism. What does that mean? It means that Jesus didn't do things the way the Pharisees did. He didn't play by their man-made rules and traditions. Instead, he opposed them. So the Pharisees strike back. They oppose Jesus to the point that they actually accuse him of being possessed by demons. Nicodemus, though, Nicodemus, on the other hand, at least grants that Jesus has come from God. He's not, he's not willing to go so far as to call him the Messiah, but he at least calls him rabbi, which is a term of respect that he uses. And so here we have Nicodemus coming to Jesus, and he has this question, and yet we have to wonder, why does he come at nighttime? You catch that little detail? It's under the cloak of darkness that Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus, and, and we have to wonder, okay, what does that mean? Well, it could be that that it meant nothing. It could be that Nicodemus is kind of worried about being associated with a purported agent of Satan. I'd be a little worried about that. He might be worried about, you know, the political fallout of like walking up to Jesus in broad daylight and having a conversation with him. But I think John is driving at something a little deeper, and I think he uses that little detail to teach us this, that we're all in darkness until we're born again. And that truth seems to undergird the entire narrative here. That even if, like Nicodemus, you're living a pretty good story. <laughs> but apart from the birth that Jesus speaks of, we're all living in darkness. So Jesus gives Nicodemus this teaching. 
Uh, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is puzzled. This Bible scholar, the, the, the teacher in Israel, is troubled by that. And he says, how can this be? And Nicodemus is, is focused on how someone can be physically reborn. And so Jesus gives him this corrective. Look in verses 5 and 6. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus elaborates. And the birth he's talking about, this, this rebirth, is, is to be born of water and the Spirit. John writes his gospel in Greek, and, and the Greek phrase that's translated born again, it could also be translated born from above. It's this adverb of place or time and, and i think i think that helps us understand the idea here because uh to be born again is to be born from above that's what jesus is really kind of driving at to receive this new birth that jesus is talking about is to receive something that is from from beyond ourselves we, we're incapable of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps on this one we need to receive this birth from on high to be born from above is what jesus is referring to here and so this new birth he says is a birth of water and spirit and it is an essential rebirth according to jesus again no one can enter the kingdom without being born of water and spirit he says and in the earliest centuries of christianity in the second and third centuries the the church leaders were universal in their understanding that this was a reference to be born of water and spirit was a reference to baptism. One church leader by the name of Tertullian, he, he wrote during this period of time, this is what he says. He says, but we, little fishes, after the example of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in water, nor have we safety in any other way than by permanently abiding in water. Uh, that word ichthus that he refers to, that's the Greek word for fish. And it formed an acronym in uh, the ancient culture. It stood for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Okay? That's what the letters of Ichthus represented. And so it became kind of this shorthand way of, of conveying the gospel. So, so how that applies in our life today. You know, those little Jesus fish uh, guys that you see on the backs of the cars in front of you as they go whizzing by at 900 miles an hour. You know, like those little fishes came to represent the Christian faith because of that, because of that acronym. But that's, that's really not his point. You look again, Tertullian's point is, is this. We're born in water after the example of Jesus. And the only life we continue to know is, is by permanently staying in that water. Or to use our phrase for this series, living out our baptisms, living the baptized life and this tradition of water and spirit and baptism it goes all the way back here to john's gospel where you find 20 different references to water so when jesus speaks of baptism this way when he speaks of baptism as a rebirth as being born of water and spirit he actually calls to mind a, a, another moment in the scriptures where those same elements are involved genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
But then this, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's interesting. That in creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over these waters, right? Just waiting for God the Father to say, let there be. <laughs> Just waiting to take part in this act of creation. Just waiting to bring new life into the world. And that's a great way to think about what happens in baptism. Because in the same way, when we're born of water in the Spirit, that same Spirit of God hovers over the face of those waters. And it's just, just waiting to bring about new life. Waiting to grant this promise of eternal life that Jesus is speaking of here in John chapter 3. Waiting to bring us out of that story of sin and into the story of salvation. That's baptism. And last Sunday we looked at, at a passage from Romans. We looked at Romans 6. And we said there that baptism is this. It is identifying with and participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But now I want to go back to that passage in light of what we've just studied and read from John 3. Because it helps expand our understanding a, a little bit further. This is Romans 6 verse 4, which we touched on last week. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. I love the way Paul connects baptism to the story of Jesus. Literally, he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death. And so we've said this for several weeks now, we'll say it again. The word baptize, it literally means to immerse. It means to soak. It's, it's like the, the idea of taking a piece of cloth and dipping it soaking it, immersing it into dye so that that piece of cloth will take on a new quality, so that it will be transformed, so that it will become something new. And that's the way baptism is spoken of in the scriptures. And this would be so much clearer if in places like Romans 6, for instance, that the original translators had done that, if they had actually translated. When, the, when, when, when this was translated into English, it would have been so much easier for our understanding if that's what the translators had done but they didn't rather than translating baptizo that greek word as immerse they transliterated it okay which simply means they took the greek word they put it down in english and essentially created a new english word so why in the world would anybody do that you ever wondered I mean, week after week i've been up here telling you baptize means immerse have you wondered why didn't they just put that in there right well, not surprisingly, there was political pressure not to translate it that way. Because sprinkling was the primary mode, it had become the primary mode of baptism in the state church at the time that the King James Version was translated. And it would make the church look awfully bad if the word were translated immerse when they'd been sprinkling all those years. Uh, that's just the truth. And so that word, baptizo, was just transliterated into English, not translated. 
And that's led to a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what happens in baptism and what it's about and all, you know, this, that, and the other. But that's the reality of what the term means. And in reflecting on that practice of sprinkling, even Martin Luther wrote this. He said, it is indeed correct to say that baptism is a washing away of sins, but that expression is too weak too mild to bring about the full significance of baptism, which is rather a symbol of death and resurrection. So for this reason, I would have those who are to be baptized completely immersed in water, he says, as the word says. The point I want to make to you today is this, that the imagery of immersion best conveys the spiritual reality that is attested to in the scriptures. Being plunged into an abundance of water, it, it signifies, it represents being plunged into an abundance of death. Back to the story of Jesus, okay? Uh, it's this moment where your life is hidden away with Christ, as Paul talks about in Colossians 2 and Colossians 3. Uh, it is to die in the most meaningful way, to die to self and to die to sin. But also this be plunged into an abundance of water is it's an expression of new life as well immersion conveys not just death but also resurrection being born again into this new story so when we add john 3 to our understanding of romans 6 we see that that immersion into christ is a death that leads to life and one of my favorite writers, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, reflecting on this, he said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And the cross of Christ is the death we undergo once and for all in our baptism, and then this. And it is a death full of grace. Baptism is indeed a death. But he's right, it, it's a death full of grace. It is a rebirth into eternal life so again as we wind down a, a new kind of life requires a new kind of birth that's that's the meaning of baptism that's where we've been going with this series that's the message of john 3 and on the heels of their conversation the conversation between nicodemus and jesus we find what might be the most beloved the most quoted passage in all the bible it's john 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but instead would find everlasting, eternal life. And that's the life that is available to those who would be born again, to those who would be born from above, to those who would be born in water and spirit. You know, Huntsville Hospital was the location of a very special birth this week. Uh, but it didn't take place in the labor and delivery ward. As far as I know, there was no birth certificate uh, that was filed. But it, it was a rebirth nonetheless. An 80-year-old man by the name of Kenneth Connors was baptized on Thursday. He was baptized at the hospital with the help of some of the nurses and staff. Uh, AL.com has since picked up this story, and according to their report, Mr. Connor only has 15% of his heart function. 
and he had to be taken off machines and removed from monitors to allow for this baptism. They were using a portable baptistry that belongs to the Madison Church of Christ, and the minister at the Hartzell Church of Christ, Philip Hines, is the one who was kind of presiding over uh, the baptism. He took Kenneth's confession, and then a host of nurses and staff actually baptized him. I want you to take a minute and see this beautiful moment as it I, uh, I don't know all the details of Kenneth Connor's story. Uh, I don't have to know all the details of his story. But I know this, I know that that man has been reborn. I know that he has been born again. He's been born from on high. He's been born of water and the Spirit. And that same Spirit that hovered over the face of the waters in Genesis 1 is the same spirit that hovered over those waters in that portable baptistry in a room in Huntsville Hospital. And that same spirit hovers over these waters in our midst today as well. So I don't know about his story, I don't know about your story, but I know this, the good news of the gospel is that a new story has been made available to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer's right, it is a death, but it is a death full of grace. And my question to you is, do you want a new story do you want to trade in that story of sin for the story of salvation? Do you want a fresh start? We've just seen as proof that even 80 years old isn't too old to be reborn. And that is the power of the gospel. And it is available now to, to you. If you need to respond today in faith and make that same confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and watch the Spirit at work hovering over those waters. If that needs to happen today, I hope it will. Let's stand together and let's sing.